0: Today's episode is brought to you by MetPro. Hey, do you want to improve your health but not sure where to start? With thousands of health strategies available, identifying which one works for your body is extremely difficult. I know it was for me until I found MetPro. The key is to understanding and mastering your metabolism. So if you're looking for a high-touch experience working with a metabolic expert, or if you want access to the tools their industry-leading coaches use, visit metpro.co, that's metpro.co, slash dose, to take their assessment and speak with their team to learn which option is best for you. And hey, the Dose listeners will get up to one month free if you sign up. Head to metpro.co, slash dose, to take advantage of this opportunity. More on MetPro later in this episode. On today's episode, American film
1: director and screenwriter, Oliver Stone the point is that there's no mainstream media has covered this documentary that no one's dealt with the facts in the documentary i've had a few mainstream articles that slam me as an idiot i'm not a conspiracy theorist i've never followed conspiracies i'm a truth i'm a truth seeker because it's an important truth probably the most important issue of my lifetime and i realize that now the older i get Hey, welcome to The Dose, a show dedicated
0: to deep and engaging conversations, highlighting individuals that are in the pursuit of authentic and courageous leadership, who approach life with insatiable curiosity, bold action, and common sense in these divisive and uncommon times. It's my hope you take something away from each and every one of these conversations and apply it to your own life, as we all intentionally attempt to become the best we can possibly be by living out our purpose and calling, committing to life a service, and helping make this place better than we found it. Well, American screenwriter and director Oliver Stone doesn't need much of an introduction. I mean, you certainly probably know who he is. He became prominent in the 80s and 90s for all his great films, Splatoon, Born on Fourth of July, The Doors, Natural Born Killers, and of course JFK. That's a big reason why I brought him on the show today, because he's got a brand new documentary called JFK Revisited Through the Looking Glass, available on Showtime right now for two hours, an additional two hours, so four hours are going to be available wider in February on various streaming sources. I highly encourage you to check it out. Uh, I've been a big fan of Oliver Stone forever and I wanted to bring him on this show because this is about having conversations with people who are insatiably curious, they're bold in their beliefs and their actions. That certainly describes Oliver Stone. I I haven't always agreed with him, but you don't have to. What I love about him is that he always gets me to think he knows what he stands for and he stands for something. And in today's age, standing for something means a lot. It's easy to tear people down or to tear creatives down or to be against something. That's easy. Oliver Stone is always taking the more difficult path of pursuing truth. He wants world peace, he wants truth, and that's what is reflected in his work. And I'm just a huge fan of him and it was a great honor for him to come on the show. Go check out his uh, memoir too, Chasing the Light, which is very good. And I'm glad I read, uh, I got at least got halfway through it before I had the conversation with him, but I just finished it. And Chasing the Light is so good, gives you some great insight. To the man and someone who's, who's a, a leader in his own right. And I just a really fascinating individual and a fascinating conversation. So let's get on with it with Oliver Stone here on The Dose. You've had a huge impact on my life. Personally, I watched Platoon and when I was 17, senior in high school. Huge impact on my life for what it's worth. I had Dale Die in my show, and we talked a lot about the making of that. And I love Dale. I love Dale's portrayal in that movie. I think I just remember watching him, how he acted as the, as the company commander. I remember sitting there in the, in the audience thinking, I want to be a leader like that someday. Isn't that weird? I mean, I, in a large measure, that's a large reason why I joined the Marine Corps, because to emulate the character Dale Tye played in your movie. It's crazy. Well, you've
1: hit a good point, actually. If you want to discuss it, we can come back to it. Because uh, Dale and I are completely opposite in terms of our outlook ideologically. Uh, I mean, he is a true, believes in war, believes in being a warrior, and wants to kick ass. And, and, and that's what I used him for. I, I, I looked, when I met him, he came in out of the blue. He just wanted a job because he, he said they're fucking up Vietnam. I need to. We need to make movies. I had written the script that was about my own experience, but a lot of memory that was I couldn't get back to. I mean, you know, how, how do you, how many Chevettes? How many? Who's this? Who's that? How do you call this militarily? How does a radio? I wasn't. I was on a radio for a while, but I don't know the code signs and all. So I needed someone to excite my memory and we he did a great job of filling in the details however i have to say we disagreed on a lot of things still
0: well but that's yeah. what made it great i bet you know i mean that disagreement's probably what made it made it so good
1: i just I, I held on to my own idea of what combat was and i did it my way i wanted the combat to mostly i did it my way i mean there were some things i i did see it on but i really wanted to keep that my view of combat the way i saw it so that doesn't mean turning it over to some kind of hollywood thing where it becomes a conventional film and that is very possible uh, and i you know i don't know what dale would have done but the point was he followed what i said and when i didn't like it i told him i said no and and he's got to be he's got to be told what to do because he's a headstrong guy he yeah. had the same issue with football movie the any given sunday cuz i had a very conventional I'm not saying Dale's conventional. I'm just saying a very strong minded football coach who believed that the plays had to be this way. And I had to make the movie my way because it was a new kind of movie. We were, we were loosening up the quarterback. He was becoming free and running everywhere. So it was screwing him up. We had a tremendous battle until we solved it. I, he knew he was on his way out. I was going to fire him, but he backed down and he joined the show finally. This is always an issue. Directors have to be very strong, unfortunately, very strong in filmmaking. Because there's always people, in, there's all these departments, uh, Richard. They're encroaching. They're encroaching on you, and they always know better because they're specialists, right? They do costumes. They do they do uh, makeup. They, they cinematography. They're always telling you you got to do it this way. Now this is this is where you got to listen. At the same time, you got to say no. When now that doesn't mean you know the answer, and you can say I want it this way. Sometimes you don't know the answer, but you have to say no, no, no. I don't want that. And then you start to go into that mind and you see what the alternatives are. And I think that's very important to remember when you're directing as, a, as well as running a business or whatever. Yeah, well, I, it's a, I've always... I, I...
0: I've been trying to get a lot of directors on my show. I'm always fascinated from a leadership perspective to directing because I think it's it's, the, it's, the, it's, <laughs> it's akin to combat probably because it's the ultimate in chaos aside from combat with all those competing forces and the budget and everything else and trying to – different acting styles and trying to get what you want you know what? and trying to see your vision come through. I just it's, It seems so overwhelming to me. And it's, it's
1: I love what you sunny. said the different acting styles. I think that's pretty true. There are some people who are going off on their own tangents all the time. And fighting with actors is, is a necessity sometimes. Now that I, that's not to say I'm fighting with everybody. No, but I'm trying to set a standard, and it's very important that you question and you say even with an actor, you say, I don't know what you're doing. You have to say it. Now that's not to say that's not to say you have to say it in front of everybody. No, all these battles, all these decisions have to occur if much as possible on a one-to-one basis, uh, quietly, quietly, without without threatening their authority without, without embarrassing them or embarrassing, you know, it's, it's, it's like, I don't know. Have you ever run a business?
0: Yeah. I mean, not, not, I mean, my own business and I've never, you know, had a team like a, like, you know, when I was reading your book chasing the light and the opening scene, I'm halfway through it. I haven't finished it oh. yet, but I love, I love the way you write by the way, but I, the, it just gripped me from the front when you were talking about the making of Salvador, <sighs> you know, that was- and that opening space. <laughs> in the horses and I know it. See, I remember the scene. I know what you're talking about. I was like, but just getting the inside baseball on in that. And I was thinking from a leadership perspective, how challenging that must be, particularly with the pressure, because you had no money. You didn't know if you were going to, That was, the you more- know, the, the, the suits were coming down to
1: shut you down. And- yes. Everything happened on that movie. First, we didn't have the money to make it. We were way beyond our, over our head. And at the same time, we had tremendous faith. It was a faith uh, that It's like we invented this movie. Richard Boyle and I, we started out with nothing except some money I had saved up. And we were going to make it hand me down, make it for as a low budget film in Mexico or actually we started in Salvador, which was even crazier. But we would never have finished it. We never would have made it. We did get rescued by a British independent who gave us a reasonable amount of money, not enough, but enough to get it done. And I I praise that man in the book, John Daly. He believed in me. And he said to me that great quote in the book where he says to me, Oliver, uh, these are terrific scripts, Salvador and Platoon. Which one do you want to do first? I've never been asked that question. I mean, to have that choice. And I, you know, I gulped and I said, I'm not going to do Platoon because it's already fallen apart twice. So I'm going to do Salvador because it's, it's fresh. It's just off the presses. We just wrote it. And I went all the way with Salvador. But and that was as tough a shoot as I've ever been on. I mean, it's so chaotic, as you say. We didn't know some days if we were shooting. We were shut down. The Mexican labor unions were tough, and they yeah. rightly so. They, they should have been paid more, and they walked off the set uh, more than once. It was a really tough shoot, but we did it. We did it. My God.
0: Yeah. it's. Uh, I mean, I could, I could pick your brain for hours about what it means to direct. But I'm glad I started reading your book, Chasing the Light, because it, it gave me the – you know, I, when JFK came out in '91, and I watched it last week, I said, "Okay, I knew this was coming up." I rewatched JFK. I hadn't watched it probably in 25 years, and I was passionate as a kid at the JFK assassination in grade school. '78, '79 is when I first came across it, and I think I was watching. We just got cable, I think, in 1980 or something, and there was some show. I don't even remember the name of the show, but it showed the Zapruder film. That was the first time I saw the Zapruder film in 1988. you know. Twelve or thirteen, and I was just stunned, and it just—I I just went down this rabbit hole about JFK. I remember in elementary school, I was like so enamored with him. I think because I had a friend, and I—we, because you know how in, in your elementary schools you've got the pictures of the presidents all up on the the wall, and we were kind of saying who our favorites were, and. Well I liked JFK and I so I'm curious. You were seventeen when he was shot. I'd never heard the story about I, I, I remember my parents and everybody telling me, I always asked them, What what were you doing? How did it affect you when you were seventeen?
1: Not at all. I was in school, I was in boarding school and with the close. I mean the whole school was affected. We were it was a tragic weekend and we were very sad. The funeral, the killing of Oswald by Ruby. I mean, we went through all the uh the motions that America, the conventional America did. I didn't question it at all. I was a conservative young man. Uh, my father has, was a conservative stockbroker who didn't particularly like Kennedy, actually. And so I had a jaundiced view of him, too. But the point is, no one paid attention. It was that it was, we accepted the conventional narrative, which is Lyndon Johnson replaced him and basically continued the policies of Kennedy which if you start to do some serious digging in history is not true at all, It's hard. except for civil rights, it's the opposite, it's the opposite. Where Lyndon Johnson changes everything on foreign policy, everything, every country, takes goes back to the old days with uh, Eisenhower. And that leads to the question why and all those questions that come up. in Mar- And we brought these up in our documentary, I'm referencing our documentary, which just came out this year called JFK Revisited Through the Looking Glass. That's two hours, and then there's a four hour version coming off in February. In March, I'm excited. March.
0: Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know that part until I was doing some homework. I didn't know there's I I can't wait. you know, there was
1: a tremendous furor over the film because we we went we were dramatized and we went we went far out and we to grab the attention and make our point, and the point was made. And we said some outrageous things like shocked people, like they say that's bullshit. It wasn't bullshit. We said that JFK was withdrawing from Vietnam. And we have proof. We have proof of it then. But now, because of the Assassination Records Review Board, we have more proof. And we have books written about it by McNamara, McGeorge Bundy, saying the same thing. So Kennedy was going to pull out, win or lose. But more important than that, Kennedy was having, was trying to make a deal with Cuba, because you got to remember that Kennedy did not go into Cuba. He was supposed to invade at the Bay of Pigs, and he was supposed to invade at the at the October Missile Crisis. Tremendous pressure. Don't ever forget that. And that's why he's not given the credit he's given to say no to all these people who are around you, these advisors. He held he held to his firm belief as a soldier that con- don't commit American troops to combat unless you're sure of what you're doing. And he wasn't sure. And he made that point. And that's the point that gets lost in this mess because we've since gone to Afghanistan, Iraq, you know, all that stuff. It's like we don't know what we're doing anymore. He's the last president who actually – said to the military, no, I wanted control of the military as well as the CIA and the intelligence agency. That is lost in this miasma of facts and f- counterfacts and all that stuff. Keep in mind he's the last president who actually challenged what the uh, what they call the deep state now or the national security state. He challenged it.
0: Yeah, and I didn't fully appreciate that he did. I think um, the narrative, and I didn't pay attention, you know, and I, and I did the same thing in the 20s, went to the Marine Corps, <laughs> And, you know, kind of bought into the, and I still love the, the ring Corps served me well, but I'm kind of like with you and there was a passage in your book and, um, chasing the light, uh, where you kind of, and, and to me, that's where it kind of, I said, oh, I get it now. I see why he's so passionate about it. Not that I question why you would, because I'm passionate about it too, but you, You're about this, right? uh, yeah, your, your book. I love it. It's great. Like I said, I'm halfway through it. I wish I would have. Why didn't you finish it, it David? Just, I'm, I'm just, I'm just it's a timing thing. I, I try, I read it every night. I love it. But you talk about, and I'm kind of paraphrasing where you said you can't insure yourself. And, and, and this is in context that you've kind of, you've went to Vietnam, volunteered, went to Vietnam. You're, you're a young man. You're kind of drifting. You're approaching 30, maybe you're 30. Yeah. You're riding platoon. You've got it in your head. Just, you just, you still just haven't found your way, but you, you kind of get some clarification around that. You said you can't insure yourself. Uh, against what we fear, because the more we do so, the more fearful and insecure that we become. And so, that, and your point is, we've kind of bought into this insanity. And I'm, I'm, I'm with you on this. When I read this, I said, yeah, this is kind of where I'm at, particularly as I'm 53. I've looked at everything, I've looked at Afghanistan with a different lens, I've looked at Mike's, and it's right. It's like, you know, why are we so worried about the subversion of democracy. Why are we so worried about, I think you said in your book that, you know, the terrorists in the barbecue pit and all this other stuff, right? And I'm like, you know, he's absolutely right. And Kennedy's speech, I reread it. You opened up the documentary with his um, peace peace speech at the American university in in June of 63, I think it was. And And I read that speech. I read it three times, just the text. And it's so powerful. And I, I don't think he, and I don't even remember it getting taught this speech. And to me, it, it's one of the most important speeches that he ever did. One of the most important presidential speeches. Yeah, it's a
1: beautiful speech, and it's it's you know at the time it was it was kind of ignored because he actually did it uh, the uh, he did it the day after the, uh, the crisis he had in Alabama with George Wallace when he sent the two he integrated the two black students. By force into the Alabama system. He had done the same thing a year before with Mississippi. So he had, the day after he was scheduled for this American University in Washington, D.C., it was just considered a, another graduation event. You know, students and presidents do graduation. So nobody was really paying attention. In time, over time, people started to pay attention after he was dead and noticed the words are written by Sorensen, Ted Sorensen, his speechwriter, but also. Edited by him, were really powerful. About we are all mortal. We all have children. We all want breathe the same air. We all want to live on Earth, and we can. That is what is the most important thing. So we not don't create enemies. Don't look for threat inflation. Say, I mean, America at that time was was very like steroided. I mean, we built up enormous mm-hmm. uh, muscle power in terms of nuclear weapons. We had so much more than the Soviets at that point. We really did. And,
0: yeah. And didn't, and didn't, wasn't that a surprise to JFK when he yeah. took office? He I totally think
1: strong.
0: he, he, once he got in office and he was, the, the curtain was pulled back. He was like, yeah. holy shit. We're not as far behind as we thought we were. Well, he ran as
1: a co warrior. That's what people don't get confused. He ran as a co-war. He had to, that was 1960. And it was a, that was the climate. I was, I remember as a kid, it was just, everybody was talking about war and the Soviet union and it was overinflated. And, he had to. He had to. He had to run as a tough guy. He couldn't have won without it. So he he, he conflated this missile. He called it the missile gap, and that became a, that was ridiculous. The moment he got into office, he sent McNamara, his Secretary of Defense, of the Pentagon. Within a few weeks, McNamara figured out that there was no <laughs> missile gap. That in fact we were so far ahead of the Soviets that it was it, it was an inversion of reality, which happens a lot in the present day Pentagon. You'll see. Look at our, I mean, if we could audit the Pentagon, we would see what a waste of, uh, how much money we waste on just what people say is experimental. But we don't have a realistic estimate. I mean, our our defense budget is insane. It has no, it, it's like 15 times what Russian budget is, or actually no, 12 times. It's three times, five times bigger than the Chinese budget and the Chinese versus you know, it's just so ridiculous what we spend, and we part of it is contractors, part of it is corruption, lobbyists, all this stuff. We can't get out alive on this, and we can't. We need the money for infrastructure. We need to protect the security of the American people by creating better lives. That's the most.
0: Yeah, it's so out of control. I, 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 w- I guess my. Qu- I was. I wrote some notes down as I was thinking. I was like, "What?" I, and so, I, I guess I want to hear your version of why now? Why is this? And I, I, I'll tell you why I'm fascinated with it but why this revisitation why now and why should anybody care I guess I want to well that's important we, yeah you, know,
1: you have to realize that we made this film JFK was a big hit back in 91 but when we went to do this film no one was interested in the US we got financing from England from a very sharp independent like I did on Salvador actually whenever my sources dry up I guess I get lucky in England they put up some money. We made the film, and then no one would wanted to distribute it in the United States. We went to Cannes Film Festival last year, and we sold ten more, more than ten countries, foreign countries. They loved the film, but no one in the U.S. would buy. So it's been a painful experience for me. Three years, and you know, it, I, at one point I felt like we should just give up. But we finally got Showtime to put it on for. It's on for ninety days until February, and then it's going to be widely available through other sources, other platforms. But American people want to forget this. They don't understand the importance of it because they can't see the whole picture. Which is what? Where are we now? What has happened to the power of the presidency? We have. We're still under the control of the uh, military, intelli- military and intelligence agencies. We still. We basically are. If they tell us we have to go to war, we go to war. It's, I mean, we question. But as you know, in in the Iraq. Thing. We just make up intelligence. Intelligence can be militarized anytime we want. We can't trust our intelligence anymore. I mean, I can tell you this personally because I know a bit about Ukraine and then because I've been over in that area and a lot. And I, it's just not accurate our intelligence. We're not accurate about it. this. Is the worst thing you can do in military terms. And you have a military background. I do. I can't tell you in Vietnam we were wandering around in the dark. We were in areas we shouldn't have been. We were search-and-destroy operations, looking for nothing, ghosts, and the, the NBA were a lot smarter than we were in terms of tactics, a mm-hmm. lot smarter, yep. and you know the lies about it, I mean, I don't know if you know yeah. that. Yeah, I, I do
0: know. The beginning, and it, was, it, it, we
1: were telling the American people, we're winning, we're winning, we're winning, we were making up fake numbers, this, mm-hmm. and don't trust intelligence, because this has gone wrong now, this is what takes down the power. And we'll be right back after this message. Hey, you're like me. You're wanting to
0: improve your health, but never sure where to start. With thousands of health strategies available, identifying which one works for your body is difficult. I know it has been for me until I found MetPro. According to MetPro, the key to seeing results is mastering your metabolism. At MetPro, your metabolism isn't some mystery. It's a data point. Armed with hard science, MetPro is your health concierge, delivering one-on-one coaching and personalized nutrition and fitness regimes. It's not just about weight loss. MetPro's coaches provide busy professionals, athletes, weekend warriors, and everyone in between the support and education they need to live a healthier life. MetPro's team of experts has worked with the most recognizable name in sports, entertainment, and business. They've helped thousands of individuals like you and me transform their bodies by hacking their metabolism. I've been using MetPro for five weeks, and I couldn't be more thrilled. I finally feel like I got it figured out. This onboarding program was great. The intuitive app I can't say enough of. It helps me plan my meals gives me a shopping list. I'm eating the foods I enjoy. And most importantly, I got increased energy and I'm seeing weight loss. I couldn't be more thrilled with MetPro. Recently, they launched a new tool that allows you to experience the same science and tailored strategy that their experts use. Look, this isn't food logging. It's not a tool or a workout app. The MetPro app allows you to track, analyze and learn what your metabolism responds to best, and that's the key. That's the thing I've never had before until now. So if you're looking for a high-touch experience working with a metabolic expert or if you want to access the tools that industry-leading coaches use, visit metpro.co/dose. That's metpro.co/dose to take their assessment and speak with their team to learn which option is best for you. Best of all, listeners will get up to one month free when they sign up. Head to Metpro.co/slash/dose to take advantage of this opportunity. And now back to the show. This documentary is so great. I mean, it's put together so well, and it's it's presented in such a, a almost like dragnet fashion that you look at it, it makes you think, and that's what documentaries should do. It's like you're not sitting there saying, I mean, you do be as so bold and say, okay, now I've laid this out, and what. People are saying is conspiracy theory, kind of conspiracy facts. I agree with you. I mean, you you go through the magic bullet, you go through the inconsistencies of the Warren Commission, of Oswald's rifle, of him on the sixth floor, of the autopsy, and and you know a couple. I mean, so much stuff. I mean, it's done really well, Oliver. And I think that um, to me, it's important because it it's timely for what we're kind of kind of the. The bullshit that we're kind of being fed. I don't feel like I, for the longest time, have not felt like I've had a political home, you know. And you know,
1: I like. Go ahead. I'm sorry.
0: I was going to say just like, and I think why I'm kind of so drawn to Kennedy over those last few years is because I used to think I'm a conservative, and I am conservative in my beliefs, you know, Marine Corps, all this. But these last ten years. I would say I'm more of a classical liberal, and that term, no one knows what classical liberal means anymore, and JFK was the last true classical liberal, where he was fiscally conservative, but he thought, we take care of those that need to be taken, that can't take care of themselves. Absolutely. The founding and what we were founded upon, the the individual liberty and personal freedoms, how can you go wrong with that? You know what I mean? And I just don't hear anybody talking about it as articulately as he had. had, JFK was an inflection point. It really was. And everything's kind of gone downhill since then. Or maybe I'm fantasizing. No, you're not. Alive, that's and, the
1: but... point is there's no mainstream media has covered this documentary that no one's dealt with the facts in the documentary. I've had a few mainstream articles that slammed me as an idiot and so forth and so on. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I've never followed the conspiracies. I'm a truth. I'm a truth seeker because it's. An you seek the issue. truth. That's right. It's probably the most important issue of my lifetime. And I realize that now as the older I get. Uh, but, uh. No media. No media. We get everything underground. Your shows, uh, uh, Joe Rogan, uh, Breaking Points. I mean, this the shows I'm doing, and that's all I can get. And it's a shame after all this time. I, even my book was ignored. So – you know,
0: obviously, I don't. On. I don't get that. I don't get it because the, I because I don't see you as a conspiracy theorist. I see you as a truth seeker. Like if I look at all your movies, and I don't even have to agree with everything you've done. I haven't agreed with everything that you've put out, but that's not the point. My point is you've made me think on everything you've done. You've made me go. Thank you. Huh. Thank you. I go holy shit. And even like on this, watching this documentary, I did. I didn't know shit about Alan. Dull, uh, Dull, is his name Alan Dulles? <laughs> You know, I'm a pilot. I fly into Dulles all the time. Oh, yeah. That's a
1: my, misnamed yeah. airport. We have to get his yeah. name off that.
0: Uh, I need to I need to investigate this guy. He, he seems and like. And his
1: brother, John Foster.
0: They seem like
1: shady dudes. Well, read I mean, me, The know. Devil's Chessboard if you want to get a full description of his activities during World War II. With the, you know, he, he didn't obey uh, – Roosevelt was the president and told him uh, unconditional surrender, which you may not agree with, but still – and and Dulles went about seeking a separate peace uh, with the Italian on the Italian front with the Germans, which was uh, basically treason. And uh, we t- it go, we, and he brought all these Germans to this country after the war, bad guys, and set them up in intelligence in Germany. It was he's got a horrible record if you get into it. And David Talbot, who wrote the book A Devil's Chessboard, did that. Also, Talbot wrote a great book called. Brothers, which I urge you to read on the Kennedy brothers. Those two books will change your view of American history.
0: What was the second one? What was Brothers. It brothers, okay.
1: Brothers and the Devil's Chessboard. I like that.
0: You know, one of the reviews I was reading said, oh, there's nothing new here. And I'm like, did you watch the same documentary that I watched? They, say, they
1: always say that. They, say, they There's no legitimate criticism. No one's taken on the facts that we're presenting. They don't know. Most people don't know. They just think an opinion. I have a – everyone has an easy opinion, but the hard part is research. Do the research.
0: Yeah, and it's very well researched. And I think that, you know, just a couple things that stood out to me – you know, the magic bullet theory, if anybody is going to follow this is kind of knows that, but the unique thing about that, that I'd never had heard about and wouldn't have been possible without your efforts from doing JFK, which led to the early release of the doc. Like you you talk about at the end of JFK, it's going to be 2029 that we release it out because of your efforts, we got it released. And now all these, and some of these efforts of just private citizens that kind of did this investigation of the National Archives, which is crazy. It's so good. And, but the chain of custody piece, I had never heard that before and i don't know if it'd been presented anywhere else before but th- this documentary was the first time i heard the chain of custody piece which holy crap i mean that kind of seals the deal right there on any kind of yeah. doubt on magic bullet theory
1: Well, it's a uh, chain of custody is a, is a basic basic crime solving element you have to have chain of custody to prove any in court without it you can't you can't you can't find anybody guilty and it was ignored completely the, the strange thing about this case is that, president of the united states the most important individual we have and it was the sloppiest investigation of all time with i a lot of the officers at the scene were were taking uh, notes and leaving their initials on on bullets and trying to get the correct fingerprints but it didn't happen the, the fingerprints were no good neither was the uh, bullets it didn't make any sense and now the, they, on top of it at the very beginning they found a mauser a, a mauser rifle which was what the, the, an honest detective said. Then the Mauser disappears from the evidence, right. and now the rifle itself is not the same rifle. That right the the I had, the
0: strap, the sling, the sling, the the length, the, sling, um, the, d- the, length, the difference, sloppy the, beyond belief. The yeah, no, no fingerprints. No, and then the, oh, the autopsy
1: is is beyond is a farce. It's a farce, and obviously there was some doctoring that went on. to – yeah, you know the, the wound in the back of the skull.
0: I have, I've seen this before, but I, I, when we've talked. I mean, even way back in the eighties when I was fascinated with the JFK assassination. <laughs> but the the idea that the back of the head was exploded. I mean, entrance wounds. Every time that you shoot a rifle, it doesn't. It's the explosive a- exit wound that causes those massive trauma. Anybody that shoots knows that yeah. Right? Um, and so- I,
1: we had you know what they call ch- ch- sucking chest wounds a lot of it it's never on the front it's never on the chest it take a look at the guy's back and that's where the damage is
0: yeah it gets explosive out the back and so it doesn't make any sense that it would come from that way But that's a, a, a side note but yeah you're right the autopsy thing from the protocol at parkland being all jacked up and and taking it and flying it to Bethesda and to the, the forensic pathologist in Dallas,
1: but they didn't trust. They wanted to control it. There was a military autopsy, and by the way, the autopsy guys—the two guys—were were, were had no real experience doing these major. And this is the one of the most complicated autopsies of all time because there's a lot of. We don't know how many bullets, but we're, I assume four to five, and they're all bouncing around the car. There's windshields. There's scattered remnants everywhere. There's traces. Of everything, it just needs a complete. It should have been done, sealed right away, sealed up, and seal up that whole plaza and go to work with some real serious people. That's what you.
0: Yeah, and even if, and, and that's something new that I got from documentaries. Like you had. You're in Bethesda, you've got hundreds of experienced pathologists within an hour from Bethesda, and they use these naval guys who've never done a gunshot autopsy. And and the the leader of the free world, it doesn't make any sense. It's a disgusting, disgusting,
1: disgusting disgusting investigation. Sherlock Holmes would be shocked. (laughs) (laughs) It's a shame, and he deserved better.
0: Yeah. One thing that I really stood out to me too. I didn't, was new was the, um, Dr. Perry. Yeah. Malcolm and Perry. And the test Great. Malcolm Perry and the, and the pressure he got admitted mm. from Elmer Moore, the secret service yeah. guy. That's incredible. And then, and then, uh, who Perry was work. I was at Crenshaw or something. No, uh, so, uh, Donald
1: Miller, year Miller
0: year in 19. 19- and they, and they got to know each other and then they were having coffee after a, a serious surgery in and Perry's like, damn, you know that was that was an, a frontal. Sure, that w- those were entrance wounds; those weren't exit wounds in the front and
1: of them. He said the same thing to Audrey Bell, the, the, one of the major nurses. Yep, Audrey Bell, mm-hmm. who saw, on the next day she, she, he walked in, he was completely white; he hadn't slept. She said, "What's the matter?" He got a lot of pressure that night from uh, Elmer Moore, who was an FBI agent, and he was ass- who admits that he was assigned to put pressure on uh, Perry. Uh, the uh, Most people are intimidated, especially in 1963, by the government. They're not going to go up against the government. They hear about, you know, look at poor. So many people got intimidated and went along with it and shut up, including the doctor, uh, JFK's doctor, who signed off. Actually, he didn't sign off on the autopsy. You don't see his signature on it, but he was a a guy who almost, he, he was a coward, but he almost came around because he was the only one who witnessed both auto- uh, the one at Parkland the, the, and, the, uh, and the autopsy at, at Bethesda. He was at both events. But uh, they almost got him to, to talk, but he wouldn't. And he's into, I mean, the beauty of these documentaries, at least you can go back years later and people talk in a different way.
0: Uh, right, exactly. You but find out information
1: well, the- of 63 and 1996, for example, the guy who tracks down the uh, three women, the three secretaries on the fourth floor.
0: Yeah. And, it takes, and that was hidden. Hidden and that yeah, and it that was hidden from the Warren Commission. They, yeah, they they had
1: one of them and they didn't they, they didn't they changed her time, but they if they'd had three of them saying the same thing, they would have been dead in the water too.
0: The one that really stood out to me or the piece of information that I had never known before was the, the assassination attempts, the, the two uh, other ones that happened before November. Oh, the attempts. Yes.
1: And the attempts
0: and the, and the Chicago one, the four Cubans and then yeah. two of them are caught. The secret service botches it. Yes. And then there's this kind of Lee Harvey Oswald exactly. clone, this Thomas Valley or Val, however you say Valley. his name, a, m- a former Marine associated with, kind of the same type of job that Oswald have in secret bases, YouTube bases. He trained Cuban exiles, which I don't, did Oswald train Cuban exiles? We don't don't
1: actually know that, but we think he did. Yes. He was involved with David Ferry uh, and that whole New Orleans was jumping with uh, Cuban exile training in Florida too. Yeah.
0: And so uh, what I'm trying to piece together is, okay, so, and I guess it makes sense if, if, okay, well, why was the CIA interested in those guys? Why were they interested in Oswald? They, they, I mean, Oswald was a true dissenter, right? This, they didn't like, and so that did, did the CIA kind of get with them, okay, and let's get you over to Russia so we can get information? No, had, and, you know, no,
1: no, they were had, let's say the intention to kill Kennedy became more and more apparent by 63. So let's say you make a plan in the spring that for the fall you know there's so much hatred against Kennedy for what his policies are that you can have a certain momentum and it grows through 63. And But you see, the CIA works in advance. I mean, they have people on the payroll or involved with people all over the world who are potential informants, who are potential agents for them or provocateurs. Oswald was one of that type. There's a type. And in fact, they, his file was watched over by uh, the counterintelligence chief, James Angleton. When he went to Russia, he was part of a defector program. And we go into detail about the defector program. There was a State Department official, Otto Atemka, who really nailed it down, and he got fired a few few months before uh, this thing would yield results. But there was a defector program in place. If you went down that list, you would find a few Marines on it, a few Army people, and they had studied Russian. They were at, at at Sugi from Oswald and Valley was at another high high, high secrecy base, uh, high security base. And uh, there was another guy, in, uh, a Cuban in Tampa, Lopez, who was set up as uh, joining the uh, the anti-Castro committee there. The fair play for Cuba committee also, which was formed by the CIA. They, in other words, they, these guys are all sheep dipped. That was the word they used. They sheep dipped to make them look... Like they're pro-Castro. I think the CIA was thinking in terms of blaming this whole assassination on Castro and Russia. That was the point. You have to realize that was the reason they had to get rid of Kennedy because he didn't do anything on Cuba. It wasn't Vietnam. It was Cuba that bugged them the most. Kennedy, had, as I said at the beginning, had refused twice to go into Cuba. So why was he, he going to go into Vietnam 6,000 miles away? It makes no sense. What they had to do was get him, Castro, out of the picture that really bugged him. That was the, that was a fly in the ointment. And uh, blaming Castro was very important. But, but when they started to move in that direction, I really, I think there was a divergence because now that you're, there's so much hysteria at that point in America. What, what does Johnson, Lyndon Johnson tell Judge uh, Warren, he, he, he appoints to the Warren Commission. He says to him, look, You've got to take this job. Nobody wanted the job. He says you have to. This this is a very serious situation. We're facing a war here. People are going to think Russia did this or Cuba did this. There's going to be a demand for war. Forty million people, forty million lives. He used that. uh, He used that number. Forty million lives are at stake. This is what he told people. You have a fear of going to war. So let's say that they had succeeded in in blaming it on Castro. But at the same time, Johnson is seeing the danger going. He sees this is going to get out of hand right away. The hysteria is going to get out of hand. So he pulls back. And we don't go to war with Cuba.
0: Right. Is it So the fear – I'm a big fan of Occam's razor, right? I tried to like – because it's so – because you can go down so many rabbit holes. And this, I is rabbit hole. this is not a rabbit hole. This is right. I know I, I, I'm with you 100 percent on this, and that's what I'm. That's kind of the conclusion where I'm, I'm going to bring up Occam's Razor because it it seems to fit. It does fit that okay, but I, I I'm trying to get in the head of a guy like Dulles. This is why i I want to learn more about Dulles. him and read these books. Dulles is because okay, so he's so is it he's so convinced that communism is the eagle's. It, is it more that we got to? defeat communism, or we got to keep this industrial machine going explicitly? Is is that – he's so so entrenched in the bubble that he's like, you know, this is his way of life. I don't know.
1: Well, you have to read the the background on Dulles. Also, you have to remember his older brother, John Foster Dulles, is the ideological conservative. He's He's the guru who says communism is bad, is evil. Not only must we neutralize it, not only must we contain it, we must eradicate it. So Dulles moves into an aggressive posture on communism in the nineteen fifties. Eisenhower goes along with him. That's what's disappointing. Eisenhower was a weak leader in that regard. Uh, and the two Dulles brothers do a lot of damage. So all the coups happen in the fifties. Not only are Iran coup is huge, so is Indonesia. Indonesia happens in the sixties, but they try it in the fifties. Uh, Guatemala uh, and there's uh, the Cuba thing. And I mean the Bay of Pigs is their first move against Cuba. So we have all this going on and they expect Kennedy to go along with it because that was the nature of Eisenhower. The 50s don't blend in the 60s. As I said earlier, Kennedy makes a new policy. No, we're not going to send um, American combat troops into Cuba. No, because we're the bully. We're seen as a bully worldwide. We're going to have a new policy. And he... And you have to study his foreign policy to understand what he did in Africa. It was unbelievable. Also in Indonesia, he formed good relations, and with Nasser in Egypt, he had a great deal going with Nasser. And all that was undermined by Johnson. Now, people will tell you again, "Oh, Stone is full of shit that Kennedy was uh, was a cold warrior." No, read the facts. This is important. Yeah, you have to- well, even like even like you to understand this.
0: Look at what Johnson was saying to McNamara in February of '64. You have it in your documentary. Yeah. And he's like, "Hey, you know, I was sitting there, and you you guys wanted to pull out, and I thought that was psychologically weak, and I just stood there silent. I, you know, well, I, didn't didn't with you with you says, I didn't
1: agree with you I didn't agree with you, you and Johnson, as if him and Kennedy were the weak sisters. Yeah. What did Johnson do? Go right to war. He went
0: right to right, hey, uh, yeah, Johnson and the, troops. Johnson and uh, you unforgivable.
1: have forgivable. It's unforgivable that's what Johnson right. did."
0: It really is, and the, you detail that in the documentary, showing the kind of the uh, uh, the document that was that Kennedy had kind of drafted November sixty three, saying, "Hey, you know, this is what it was." And then the sec, you know, weeks later after the assassination, Johnson's like xing it out, and and there goes the troop deployment. Not weeks right? later,
1: I mean, he actually did it uh, on that Sunday. I mean, with there's new document.
0: No shit, that's that's right.
1: As he was live, amazing it was pretty, stuff. It was pretty quick.
0: Oliver, great stuff. I'm looking at the clock. I know we created 45 minutes. I think it's just a fascinating documentary. I've been a fan. Like I said, uh, I, I love everything you've done. Everything you've done has made me think we need more people like you. I don't know why. The, <laughs> I'm, God bless Showtime for Thank you. Having, yeah, the, having the cojones to do this. I look forward to so is the four hour, so it's two hours now available in Showtime in February. We're going to get what? Yeah, we'll got a going four to hour
1: version, it'll be on some platforms. It's just more detail. It's more detail.
0: Oh, and um, I love your Putin tapes too. By the way, I watched that Putin interviews is what I meant to say. It's pronounced
1: Putin. Yeah,
0: Putin. Sorry.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was really that was that's also a giant. That was four hours, and I really learned a lot. And I think the American public learned a lot. In fact, a military man told me told my son. That it was studied in some in one of the military schools as a document, which I think is crucial to understand what they're thinking, and that we never do. We always say Putin, Putin did this, Putin did that. Putin is a monster in our in our mythology. He's a monster. He doesn't have that kind of power. That's the first thing they get wrong about Russia. Russia is a big, complicated country. There's a lot of tension, and different parties want power. It's the same as it the world everywhere in the world. The, the- yeah, it was very revealing. And you're not an
0: apologist in it either. I think you're very persistent, and you always have a follow up question. That I really appreciated that. Thank I you. mean, it was done done really well. They
1: make me out to be like an apologist and a softball, but they never. Those are the people who never watch it. You see, this problem is the same problem I'm having on JFK. They don't look at the fucking documentary. They make they just say, "Ah." Right,
0: well, keep doing what you're doing, and I hope I, I hope we can stay in touch and have another conversation. There's so much I want to explore with you. I, I you are. Uh, 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 we need more people like you, and, and I, I know that it's been a long slog for you. And but you've you've, you've made an impact on the world, and certainly my life personally. And, and I want to thank oh, you for thank everything you've done. Thank you so much, done. Richard.
1: It means a lot that people like you care.
0: Yeah, and just keep up the work. You always got a friendly home here on this show, and 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 um, I, I'll talk to you about anything. I do want to. I, really dive into the directing and leadership stuff that would be fun to explore with you sometime if you're ever willing to do that. Yeah. All right. How can people, again, we need to wrap up here because of your time, but what, how can people connect with you? What do you want people to reach out and do?
1: <laughs> well, don't write me a letter. It's not going to do any good. <laughs> no, bring, 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 let's bring public awareness to it. Do what you can uh, talk to your, uh, to people who can do something and who can protest. Uh, Our country is very conformist and uh, we need people to speak out. Now that's going on with a lot of nutcases too. So I'm not going to, you know, uh, we have a very outspoken uh, population who say a lot of stuff that's, you know, I mean, I don't want to hear about uh, all the, all the theories of this or that, you know, because, but it's Epstein, this, that, I mean, it's, Concentrate on the big stuff, which is really important. And this is well, big stuff. This is
0: it. Is it's important? It speaks to to who we are as a nation and where we want to go. And and that's what I appreciate about you. Is it's easy to. Uh, bitch about something and be against something but you stand for something and you always have I think that's what I, when I was really thinking about why I appreciate about you and your work is that everything you do is, is you're unapologetic in what you stand for and we need more of that
1: and, like Kennedy yeah. I stand for peace that's all I want peace in the world yeah. and I think we're yeah. in a dangerous place right now
0: I agree with you Well, I appreciate you coming on hang on the line as I stop the recording we'll chat for a couple of minutes but thanks for coming on the show Oliver it was so fun thank you Richard Hey, thanks so much for tuning into the show. I hope you got some value out of this episode. If you did, please do me a huge favor. Tell somebody about this show. Tell your spouse, tell your kids, tell your coworkers. Let them know about the value that Dosin Leadership brings to your world. Go to dosaleadership.com. You can learn more about my services. If you're looking for somebody to speak, teach, or coach about leadership, I'm your guy. I'm known for my ability to transform individuals and organizations, teaching them the concept of creating a culture of decentralized leadership. I do think that is the secret sauce to facing all the challenges that we face today. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. I look forward to the next time we're together, and until the meantime, make it a great one.